Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hardison. Today, we continue our 32 for 32 series with a look at the Cincinnati Bengals. Obviously, we're the league's worst team in 2019. Didn't improve too much in 2020. Still sit as number five overall pick. But we did see plenty of progression, specifically from Mr. Joe Burrow, number one overall pick from last year's draft. And hey, you know, they were two, let's see, two seven and one when Burrow unfortunately got hurt against the Washington football team. But truly, only the Ravens and Steelers were beating down this team during the first couple months of the year. So plenty of holes in the defense, offensive line, maybe get a receiver. We're going to talk about these things. But just realize while Burrow was healthy, this team was competitive with the majority of the opponents they faced. So I have a very special guest on today to help me discuss what kind of holes the Bengals need to fill this offseason. You can find him covering the Bengals over at ESPN. Ben Baby, who you can follow on Twitter at Ben underscore Baby. Ben, thanks for the time, man. Happy offseason. Hey, thank you, Ian. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, so as, as we were saying, you know, quarterback for most teams is the number, you know, first, second, third need we got to talk about for the Bengals. We seemingly got our guy, Joe Burrow. Truly was, you know, neck and neck with Justin Herbert in that offensive rookie of the year race before going down. But obviously football is a team sport, so plenty of other positions to go through. Per usual, we'll go through our three team needs, go through some workload related 2021 questions and end things with a bowl call from Ben. So Ben, start things off with the three team needs for the Bengals ahead of 2021 offseason. You know, for me, I think if you look at the top three needs, and like you said, when you've got a team that's been this bad over the last couple of years uh, and you're in the rebuilding phase, there's going to be a lot of needs across the board. So it's kind of hard to pin it down to three. But I think they're all about – I think football at the end of the day is a pretty simple game. It's all about uh, getting after the quarterback and protecting the quarterback and having a guy who can throw the ball well. And like you said, I think when they drafted Burrow with the top overall pick in 2020 – they found a guy who can be a franchise quarterback and, and for him to be able to step in. I mean, let's look at what Burrow did for him to come in, have no OTAs, um, you know, no, no, no real off season like he would have had and had to come in basically straight into the preseason uh, to get a feel with, for playing with some of these guys and, and to do as well as he did, I think is still pretty impressive. Now, granted, he had a lot of things he needed to work on even before the injury. And I think he'll admit that his deep ball wasn't nearly what it needed to be in the NFL. And that's somewhere that he needs to make a major improvement going on uh, from year in year two from year one. But when you look at the three needs, they're all um, you know predicated around that quarterback position. Two of them, I think, are really in helping him out. And we can get into the into the minutiae and not um, you know for for making this a little more fun. We'll combine the top the top need in, in being just offensive line in general. You can make the case that offensive tackle and offensive guard could be split up into separate positions. But I think for the purpose of this exercise, that's going to be the top need. Obviously, uh, the Bengals will, will be very interested in Panay Sewell out of Oregon. Uh, to potentially come in and, and be a, a left tackle for them. I see, you know, if they are, if he's still on the board, I think he makes the most sense uh, with Sewell coming in at left tackle, moving Jonah Williams over to right tackle. And we kind of got a sense of that's what the Bengals are, are going to try to do because at the end of the season, you saw Bobby Hart, their right tackle, get benched as they were trying to just filter through some of the positions mm-hmm. over there. And that really looked like some tinkering just to see what was on the roster as the Bengals try to figure out what is going to be uh, what their needs are going to be in the draft. So I think if Sewell's on the board, he seems like the, uh, the no brainer pick uh, offensive guard is going to be another position that needs to be addressed. I mean, last year they could never really get the guard combination, right? They signed Xavier Suofilo in the off season. And, and when Suofilo got healthy after, you know, he missed uh, he was on IR for a bulk of the year, you know, he still wasn't at right guard where he played. He went over to left guard. They just cycled through a lot of positions and, and that it was never really solidified. And I still, I think that's honestly more so than tackle guard is probably the biggest question mark moving forward, because I know a lot of people, this might be a, a bit of a take here, but I think 
Jonah Williams and Bobby Hart are serviceable enough at tackle. When you watch them over the course of the year, I never looked at them and said, these guys have been having major problems. And Hart played well enough uh, last year to be definitely be serviceable as an NFL right tackle. But at the guard plays really where you saw some question marks. And I think for the Bengals, you want to solidify that guard spot. And if you can get Sewell in a guard and free agency, I think you're going to be in a really good shape uh, moving forward. That second knee that you're looking at, in my opinion, I think is defensive end. Uh, you know, Carl Lawson's, you know, uh, if he's going to come back or not is the big question mark. And a lot of people are framing this as they do. The Bengals have the money to sign uh, Carl Lawson and William Jackson in free agency when they hit the market. I don't know if that's necessarily the right question. I think the question is, does Carl Lawson want to come back to Cincinnati? I mean, you look at it, look at the conversations around Carl. Everyone is saying this guy is a sneaky good edge rusher who has not put up the production that that he probably could have. So you ask the question, well, why is that? And Carl essentially tiptoed around at being the polite and pleasant guy that Carl is. Uh, Carl, I asked a, a question about the scheme, and he basically said, I'm not even going to touch that with the 10-foot pole, <laughs> which basically says my answer is not going to be something that's going to help me out at the end of the day. So I think that the, the Bengals, you know, they had a chance last year to, to maybe, you know, give Carl a boost and get some numbers there. You saw that with Carl's Dunlap uh, in, in myriad ways. Um, you know, when he looked at whenever he left and felt like he wanted to contribute to the team again. And so when he got traded to Seattle, was able to put up some numbers. And, and by all accounts, Lawson is a guy who can, you know, potentially put up double digit sack totals in the right system and scheme. Now, you know, is that going to change under defensive coordinator Lillian Aruma, who's coming back for a third year, uh, who definitely will have his arguments as to why the scheme looked like it did and was successful at times. But if you're an edge rusher, you're not getting those sack numbers uh, that you want. So Lawson, um, and, and not only the Bengals' ability to pay him, but you know what he's going to command on the market, and if he wants to come back here, that's going to be a big question mark. But let's say even Carl comes back, I think you still need a young, dynamic edge rusher. You know, taken at the beginning of the draft. You know, maybe this, you know, second round or third round pick. Uh, the Bengals do not necessarily prioritize defensive players that early. They haven't, you know, historically. I know you know Drake or Patrick Wood and William Jackson at the corners. Or a couple of those guys last year, they took uh, Logan Wilson in the third round. Um, so that's kind of the range. You know, Geno Atkins, uh, they're, you know, all decade defensive linemen. They kind of stumbled onto him in the fourth round. Um, and in Carlos Dunlap, they got him in the second round, uh, both in 2010. Now, both of those guys were your primary uh, pass rushers over the last decade. Both of those guys, I mean, there's a good chance Geno gets cut. Carlos obviously is no longer with the team. And while you still have guys like, like Carl Lawson, um, or you had Carl Lawson and Sam Hubbard, on the roster last year, I think you still need more production out of your edge rushers. Uh, you need more dynamic guys who can get after uh, opposing quarterbacks. And I think the scheme needs to help them out as well. So, you know, that's my second need. And finally, I do think wide receiver is going to be a need that's necessary. You need a, a guy who can um, complement uh, Tyler Boyd and T Higgins. Uh, now the thing is a lot of people are saying you need an AJ green replacement. Well, I think you kind of got that in T Higgins in, in a way. I mean, they drafted T Higgins as basically a like for like replacement, um, you know, Higgins is a guy who's young enough and AJ is old enough to where Higgins molded his game after AJ. And, and we saw Higgins was able to create some separation downfield. Uh, the only thing he doesn't have is that that elite speed. I mean, he can't really run away from defenders. Uh, we saw that last year where he got you know taken down from behind on some big plays that normally if he had the speed, he ends up getting a touchdown. But, you know, his ball control, his ability to create separation, I think were very good. Uh, he needs to get better with his hands, and he got better with that towards the end of the year. 
Uh, but a lot of those things will get better. And as, as people need to realize, Higgins came out a year early. So he's his, and his body is still very young, especially since he was a multi-sport athlete in high school. And because he was at Clemson only for three years. So physically, you know, I talked to his receiver coach, Jeff Scott, who's now the head coach at uh, Southern Florida or uh, South Florida, excuse me, uh, Bulls fans down there. Uh, you know, he said that he's going to really fill out his second year. So I think you have a guy that could fill out for AJ, but you still would like another receiver in there. Um, you know, the Bengals, you know, and if you don't get Sewell at five, I think that, you know, you're going to look at, say, if, if a guy like Jamar Chase or Kyle Pitts are somehow still on the board, uh, those are bad options. And I will also give another take here. I kind of like Pitts more than I like Chase, and that's not a knock on Chase. I think guys like Pitts are more valuable because they don't really exist. I think when you look at what Pitts does, he, you know, watched him a good amount of Florida last year. He's a, a massive matchup problem uh, for guys. You know, he's, he's kind of too big uh, or he's too quick for linebackers. He's too big for safeties and corners um, and gives you a uh, position flexibility to line him, line him up across the formation. You know, I used to cover the SEC and, and I frankly can't remember a guy over the last five years who's come out, who's been as dynamic as Pitts. And so in this offense, especially with the way that the Bengals like to use their tight ends, across the formation, Pitts could be a very intriguing guy. So, you know, I wouldn't necessarily get pinned down when you're looking at the type of receiver uh, that you're looking for. It, you know, you're looking for a guy who could be on the outside or who could, or, or a dynamic tight end. One of those two guys, so a chase or Pitts, um, you know, type, not necessarily those guys. But I think those are your three needs uh, going into this offseason. Great stuff, Ben. For those keeping track, we have wide receiver, offensive line, and passers as those top three needs. I agree wholeheartedly. And yeah, adding Pitts to the equation, we saw what CJ Uzoma did, and you know, even uh, pretty much just a game and a half. Drew Samples making some plays. If we add a legit high end receiving talent at tight end to this offense, I mean, ceiling is a roof for what Burrow and company can do in the passing game. And yeah, I mean, they could use a speedier guy to the Bengals' credit. They tried to draft John Ross very high, it just didn't exactly seem to work out. I mean, it seems like it's nothing against Boyd. Nothing against Higgins, but in the, in today's NFL in 2021, you want to have three, even four high-end receivers to complement your young quarterback with. Yeah, listen, I grew up in Texas, and we, we have we have we have perfected offensive football uh, almost <laughs> to a fault because the defenses are really bad out there. But it's because, I mean, uh, philosophically, you know, why why score if you can score 60, you don't care if you give them 50. Yeah. And <laughs> how you do that is you end up putting. I mean, they a lot of people used to use the phrase basketball on grass. As a, as, a, as a negative term, but that's really how football is kind of being played. And you look at what elite teams are able to do. It's, it's not hard. You just put speed on the field, let them go create and, and make sure you get a dynamic quarterback. And you're pretty much set. I mean, that's kind of how, when you look at it from the grassroots level all the way up uh, now to even what the chiefs are doing, when you look at the air raid and spread concepts, that's what they do. You want to have dynamic receivers across the field. And, you know, it's interesting, like guys like A.J. Green, who you know played in a more traditional system, and it's crazy how much the game has changed in 10 years. It's not like, you know, when you call an offensive pass play, you're going to say, okay, we're going to scheme it up for one of our two receivers on the edge, and that's going to be the only read he's going to make, and that's it. I mean, you're making your, your, your quarterback is, has to be more dynamic, has to go through uh, more, more reads and more plays, and has given more freedom at the line of scrimmage. And the offenses are evolving at the same rate. And to keep up with that, you do need another receiver to go out there and, and be dynamic and, and also take that pressure, you know, off of Boyd and Higgins as well. I mean, that's going to be the thing, especially if one of those guys gets hurt. It's pretty easy to bracket a guy and really key in on a receiver. And Boyd, unfortunately, for how bad this team is, has been at the uh, has had you know his fair share of double teams over the last couple of years. So, 
like you said, I, I think you need multiple receiving options, uh, and especially to give Burrow that kind of freedom across the field, especially for how much empty they run. Uh, that's going to be the other thing because when Burrow, what they like to do is, they, you know, when you look at what he did his last year at LSU, in his first year uh, with Cincinnati, the con- concepts were pretty simple um, to an extent. It was what we're going to do. We're going to we're going to put you in, uh, put three wide receivers on the field. Uh, we're going to empty out the formation and give you the freedom to do that, so you can see what the defense is giving you. And then we'll also give you some bunch formations to to, to kind of you know make sure to create some mismatches, and then you go find the mismatch. So basically, they, we have a lot of confidence that you're going to make the right decision, go out and make it. So in that case, you need a receiver uh, to go out and, and, and be that deep threat, you know, to kind of uh, and, and to be a, a good target for him, especially considering Burrow does not have A-plus arm strength. I think that's the other issue. It's not like you're talking about a guy like Mahomes or Herbert uh, or somebody who has a rocket arm. I mean, Burrow's long game is all based on timing and accuracy and if those aren't there the long ball isn't there so you need to create if you can find a receiver who can help him out and create separation on the deep end I think that in turn makes him a more valuable um, quarterback as well so like I said I think the type of receiver is going to be big and, and that's a guy that you know fortunately as you're seeing more speed receivers come out uh, because the game has changed even going down to the high school level you should be able to find more guys who have that speed to be able to help you out yeah, I, I still laugh about that uh, Urban Meyer quote on Joe Burrow. Apparently, when you know when they were both still at Ohio State together, I think the Athletic published this so uh, you know a little bit back then. But Meyer trying to motivate Burrow is saying, you know, you got a baby arm, Joe. You got your Division three quarterback with that arm strength. Step it up. Clearly, he stepped it up just fine in college. And, that, and to your point, much more about the timing of, of the you know situation at the NFL level as well. Receivers, though, you know, just one part of things. And going on to your next team need. Offensive line just as important as taking the pressure off Burrow and these receivers. Now, pressure, us at PFF, you know, we've tried to show over the years that pressure and sacks are usually more of a quarterback stat than the indictment on the offensive line. It's one of the discussions that we've had to talk about with Russell Wilson and some of his displeasure in uh, recent weeks. Now, with the Bengals, I think it's a little bit of an exception. They rank 21st in pressure rate, even when Burrow was throwing the ball in under two and a half seconds. You know, I'm sure there's things Burrow can do to, you know, get the ball out even quicker and make his reads even faster. That's only just get better as he spends more time in the NFL. But this does seem to be a case where, yeah, the Bengals, you said guard specifically, they got to invest some more resources in the offensive line because, man, it was getting rough there for certain stretches of that first 10 weeks of the year where Burrow really just didn't even have a chance chance to succeed specifically in those Ravens and Steelers games. Excuse me. Yes. No, I, I definitely agree. And, and like you said, I think, and Burrow won't even admit to this. I think we asked him, you know, throughout the year, what can you do to help? And he said, get rid of the ball quicker. And we saw, I mean, we, we look at NFL next gen stats will time out how long some of these sacks are taking. And some of them, you know, took around, you know, three and a half, four seconds, four and a half. I mean, that's at that point, the ball needs to be out of your hand. And for Joe, it was also, I think, part of the rookie experience for him. It was that, you know, you saw him trying to make some of the same plays in college and, and you're not, you're dealing with different kinds of athletes and defenders. Um, you know, sometimes you're able to, you know, get away. Uh, sometimes you aren't and you're going to end up with a 20 yard sack when you're trying to scramble out. And, you know, I think that's something that Joe has, has had to realize as well. And, and as he got better, as he went through the season, he got the ball out quicker. You saw the sack rate drop, but the reason he got hurt is because, you know, guys are getting beat clean off their blocks, and, and you can't have that. That's going to be the number one thing. And, I mean, when you look at who they were trying to put in there, you know, Xavier Sealfield, who was coming back from injury, and even then, you know, was was almost a reserve by the time that he left Dallas to sign with Cincinnati. You had uh, Michael Jordan, who was a fourth-round pick, 
uh, a guy who they had, they thought they had a lot of potential in him, but after the injury, they basically shelved him. Um, and they were, you know, Quentin Spain, like they were just rotating through. And I think there also is a fault uh, to be had on, on former offensive line coach, Jim Turner. Um, I know that I, I joked that I've, the last three coaches that I've covered uh, Texas A&M is Jimbo Fisher, Kevin Sumlin, and now Zach Taylor, all three of them have hired Jim Turner as our offensive line coach. So clearly coaches like Turner, but the one major flaw that I always had with him and not just in, um, you know, recognition of talent, which I think sometimes does lack at times with him. Um, that's I'm sure he'll, he'll debate that as well. But the other thing that I think is probably not up for debate is how much he rotated the offensive line and the lack of chemistry those guys had. And guys basically attested to that throughout the year. And offensive linemen will tell you that even if you switch from left guard to right guard, it is a very different position. I mean, it's like a boxer going from southpaw to orthodox. I mean, you, you think it's, oh, we're just switching stances and one foot's in front of the other, but it's a completely different. And a lot of it, and when you look at it, boxing and offensive line play and defensive line play, very similar. It's all about using your reach, being able to strike well, use your feet while you're striking, that timing. I mean, all of those techniques are similar. So the fact that, like in boxing, which I covered also for ESPN, orthodox and southpaw punchers are completely different. And basically, when you're switching from left side to the right side, it's almost that same mindset as is the way it's been described by guys who play that position. And not only that, it's that chemistry of knowing your assignments, knowing combination blocks. And if you and if you can pick that feel up innately by playing with a guy with them for a long time, that offensive line play is going to get better. The Bengals never really had any cohesiveness. And, you know, you could say, oh, injuries played a part of that. But I've watched Turner for the last five years. I mean, his MO is to kind of shuffle through some guys and and, and kind of see and rotate a good amount of the time. He likes to give them position flexibility, but in my opinion, that also comes at a, at a detriment to the overall pass rush or uh, pass protection. So I think that that, that is a major need. Um, so I think that the line could have been helped out by the coaching staff in, in some ways last year as well. Uh, but by and large, they do need better personnel. Uh, you do need to f- upgrade those guard positions. I know that a lot of, of Bengals fans are hoping that Joe Thune uh, comes down in free agency. And I know that's going to be a, a hot name. And if they're able to get him and Sewell, I think then you've really made strides into solidifying that offensive line. And, and I think that, you know, uh, our, our friend Joe Goodbury on Twitter has made the, made the salient point that this line really is not just one pick away, like one player away. It does need at least two people to, to see marked improvement. And so I think if you're the Bengals and you say, we want to go in on this offensive line, you need two premium players to come in and be premium starters. Otherwise, I think you're still looking at trying to patch some holes on that line. It's a great point about, you know, just the kind of versatility versus getting the chemistry point. I mean, look, and yeah, I, I love the boxing example. It's not like every offensive lineman can be Terrence Crawford, you know, changing every position whenever they want to and still maintain that high level of performance. So yeah, get some more bodies in there, get some chemistry and the whole offense should hopefully blossom here as Joe Burrow continues his development. Last thing before we get into some 2021 workload stuff on defense, you know, you brought up pass rush. I think cornerback, you know, William Jackson, Mackenzie Alexander, or Sean Sims, some of these guys or free agents, uh, you know, that could be a concern as well. Really just the whole defense. And to an extent, you got to kind of look at pass rush versus secondary. You brought up Carl Lawson not having the sack numbers, but man, the only guys in more pressures than Carl Lawson last year, Aaron Donald, Shaq Barrett, TJ Watt, Stephon Tewitt, Emmanuel Ogba, end of list. So obviously they'd love to get him back, but Geno Atkins, you know, he turns 33 in March, maybe if his performance slips, so he's a cap casualty sooner rather than later. Do you see this organization making more of an effort to, I guess, uh, you know, refuel the the pass rush or the secondary? Because I know it kind of varies around the league. Well, I think it's going to depend on what happens with Jackson and um, Lawson in free agency. I think that 
I don't know if you have the money to sign both of them. I think you've got the, I think Jackson played his way into getting a pretty good second contract. You know, you got to remember he's a former first round pick uh, that they already picked up the option on going into last year. And last year kind of was a make or break year for him, uh, whether they would be interested in bringing him back. And I think he played well enough uh, last year to make some good money uh, this year. And I think Lawson did as well. So I think that whatever you, whoever you don't resign, um, you're going to have to go get on the open market. Um, and, and, and both of those are premium positions, quarterback and, and defensive end. Like I said, I think Lawson and, and I think multiple guys will tell you that there were more sacks to be had. Just, I think the scheme for whatever reason, was just not conducive to that at times. And, and Lawson needed to finish some of those sacks as well. Uh, now that being said, uh, like I said, corner, we, the, this team, when they're so bad, they have so many needs. And I think cornerback is definitely one of them because let's say you, you do resand Lawson. Well, then, you know, you're going to need to go get another corner, um, you know, because I don't think you're going to have the money to go keep Jackson. And if the Bengals are able to do that, more power to them. But, you know, you're looking outside corner, you, you should be okay. I, I think, well, I, ultimately, I think Lawson walks and they have Jackson and Trey Waynes at cornerback. And you know, I remember Trey Waynes hurt his pectoral um, during the preseason, never played it down last year. That was their other big money free agent they acquired in 2020, along with DJ Reader, who also ended up on IR. Um, so you have Waynes and, and Jackson at cornerback. Slot corner, your, your nickelback, I think that's going to be the one you're going to have to replace. I don't see for Mackenzie Alexander coming back. I, it was a one-year deal. I don't think it was a good fit. As well as Alexander played at times, I think they're probably going to want somebody else. Uh, and then, you know, you know, your safety play, I think you're going to need some improvement from Von Bell on coverage he lacked throughout the year at times, and that was a, a big question mark. And and the other issue is, is sneaky as linebacker. Um, you know, what are they going to do there? Josh Bynes will be a free agent, and a lot of people kind of shrug their shoulders at that. And, you know, I did too when they first signed Bynes. And Bynes, you know, I think when they drafted him, they, they thought that maybe one of the younger linebackers they drafted in Logan Wilson or Akeem Davis-Gaither would be able to push him. And instead, Bynes was able to hold down that middle linebacker spot basically the entire season and, and limit, uh, you know, Akeem's reps to basically third downs and, and pass, pass um, coverage plays. And then Logan kind of played off the ball linebacker, which he primarily hadn't done. So, you know, I think when they drafted Logan, they wanted him as that three-down middle linebacker and then it came on the, off the offside. So, you know, we'll see if they're ready to make that transition. And so that'll be, you know, I think that'll affect things as well, but, you know, you definitely need some depth at cornerback. You need some depth, uh, you know, in the, in the interior as well. And if you aren't able to get an edge rusher, if you're not able to resign Lawson, which I, I'm just not sure if that's going to happen, um, then you're going to need to fix that as well. So I, I think that they're more likely to invest in, the the defensive line than they are the secondary given that their outside corners are in decent shape and you're more or less able to find decent um, inside cornerbacks I think those are probably more more accessible on the open market as we saw last year with Alexander on a one-year deal um, so the, the but the edge rusher and the ability to really create some pass rush you know like like we've said for the last 10 years it's either been Geno Atkins or Carlos Dunlap there's a chance neither of those guys are going to be here in 21 so if You've got to find somebody to complement with Lawson um, to be able to do that and kind of help that line out. Yeah, and when you have a talent like Jesse Bates, you know, in the middle of the field, PFF's number one highest grade safety from a season ago, you would think that maybe you can get away with a little bit lesser talent at cornerback if it comes to that. We're going to take a quick break to pay some bills. PFF and Sunday Night Football's Chris Collinsworth is teaming up with one of the best players on and off the field 
49ers All-Pro cornerback Richard Sherman. The Chris Collinsworth Podcast featuring Richard Sherman is available now wherever you find your podcasts. They will provide the most interesting football conversations and sports every single week, and sometimes that means the discussion will venture off the field too. Additionally, Chris will be taking a dive into the game of football as he sees it, inviting in the best and brightest to talk about everything that is happening in the great game of football. Mark your calendars. You do not want to miss the best 60 minutes of insight this season. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF to get your opportunity at a $1,000 deposit bonus. That's promo code PFF for new customers to get an opportunity at a $1,000 deposit bonus only at DraftKings Sportsbook. It must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, Michigan, or Virginia only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Or in Virginia, call 888-532-3500. Great stuff, Ben. Again, that's offensive line, pass rush, and wide receivers, the three team needs. Next, we're going to move on to some 2021 workload-related questions. A little bit of a quick hidden style here. We are recording this on February 18th, so Ben cannot predict the future. Hopefully, nothing too crazy happens between now and recording. But as things stand right now, want to get your thoughts on these following topics, Ben. First off, Joe Burrow. We've talked about him, you know, as a player, just improving in year two and what goes into that. How's his health, though? It seems like, you know, on Instagram, some of the few, you know, pictures we've seen, he's progressing just fine. But is week one a realistic target for him to be back and ready to go, hopefully near 100%? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And we're about to find out, I think, in the, as soon as within the next few days. I mean, it could be any moment now that we find out. Um, I mean, by the time this drops, I mean, Burrow could be throwing it and, uh, and running again. I think that's going to be the next big step. He was sl- slated to do that um, around this time. So if it gets into March and he hasn't ran yet, um, that could be a cause for concern that his week one timeline doesn't look good. But by all accounts, um, you know, if he hits this benchmark and continues the progress, he will be, um, you know, it, there's a very good chance that he is online for week one, which is said, which is what doctors have said, you know, where he's slated to be. And that's his goal. And, and Burrow works incredibly hard on the off season. Um, if you want an example, you know, one thing he wanted to work on was his pre-snap cadence uh, going in there and being able to have a good command in the huddle and at the line of scrimmage. And Burrow was exceptional at not only just his communication in the huddle, but he was able to draw a good amount of offsides last year. And that goes to the work that he put in in his parents' basement uh, during COVID. So obviously the guy works hard uh, when he's not playing. I mean, when you look at his physical abilities, I mean, for Burrow to do what he's done, he has to have had put in the work. Because like I said, you know, he doesn't have the elite arm strength that lets you make mistakes on the field. So you have to be a smart guy who works really hard. That's exactly what Burrow does. So I think that his health will be okay. Um, and, and in terms of his passing numbers, I think you're going to continue to see him, um, you know, being a guy who has a lot of pass attempts. I think that's the way that Zach Taylor, you know, likes to run the offense. And so, you know, you have in that case, all these, like a lot of these Bengals receivers, especially in PPR leagues are going to be, you know, very valuable guys to have, whether that is, you know, Tyler Boyd, even, you know, T Higgins, you know, I think those guys, and then we'll see who this third receiver that they're going to get this off season. But all of those guys are, are very, you know, I I feel comfortable playing them at the flex at the very least because you know that this offense is going to throw the ball a lot and it's just part of the MO. So you're going to see a lot of pass attempts. So I think the usage for Burrow uh, when he's healthy uh, on week one will still be very good as we saw last year. Yeah, Burrow led the league in dropbacks prior to being injured. And yeah, we even saw, uh, you know, 14 rushing yards per game, a little bit more at LSU, but also found his way into the end zone three times. You know, not necessarily Kyler Murray out there, but in fantasy, and then we will take all the dual threat goodness we can get. Burrow is far from a statue at a minimum. Moving on to the running back position, we know Joe Mixon got the long-term deal. We've seen his role over the past few years. I mean, it's not like he's not getting fed, but in fantasy land, full point per reception uh, leagues, as, as 
you brought up, we want more targets. We want more receptions, particularly for our running backs and a potential three down stud like Joe Mixon. Every time they throw him the ball, good things happen. Giovanni Bernard has been there, you know, countless years at this point. And hey, he's not bad either. It's just a situation where we draft Joe Mixon in the first, second round. We want him to get all the targets. We see Giovanni Bernard come in, particularly in some of these negative game scripts. It gets frustrating. Looking at the salary cap, though, Giovanni Bernard perhaps could be a sneaky uh, cap casualty if they feel like saving some money. Obviously, he's been with the team for so long, though. Great leader and all that. Maybe not. Do you see Giovanni Bernard being back with the Bengals next season? And if so, is there any chance Mixon finally gets the receiving part of his game, you know, really tapped into? Or are we just kind of looking at the same committee we've seen over the past two years? Yeah, you know, this is that's a great question. And, you know, I, I had Gio not played as well as he did last year, I would have said that, that likely he would not be coming back. But, you know, I think he played well enough to see what he has in the tank. And we'll see if one of these younger running backs like Travion Williams can push him. I know that's that was kind of probably the goal when they drafted him. And so far, that hasn't been the case. So I think this could be a very uh, – it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, going into this offseason, what they do with Gio. So right now, my gut feeling is that they keep Gio. Okay. Now, the mix in targets is an interesting question. Now, that I don't – you know, we, we were told in the offseason last year that, oh, you'll mix it will be used a little bit more in the passing game. And he was at times – but by and large, I think Mixon prefers to be a guy who who's running, you know, with with heavy in heavy packages, going downfield and getting a ton of carries. That's when Joe Mixon is at his happiest. I mean, we we know that for a fact. And the thing is, is that I think Zach Taylor's offense and Joe Mixon, in the way that he likes to view offense, they're not really similar. Uh, you know, Zach views it. You know, the, I mean, look at the way that Gio Bernard was used. I think Gio was actually a more comfortable fit than Mixon in this offense. I think if you're going to have a guy like Mixon, um, one of these more traditional running backs, you've got to have a scheme that's completely tailored around him. And Mixon is a great running back. And I think part of the issue too in fa- in the fantasy uh, realm of this is that there are so, I mean, we all know that the running back scarcity, any, any fantasy manager knows running back scarcity is massive, which is what pushes these running backs to the top and eventually creates disappointment when they're not putting up the numbers <laughs> they are. I mean, the thing is you're drafting them that early because they're just, there's so few of them. And so that's part of the issue. And we know that when they have big games, they can be game changers, which is why Mixon is a very unique fantasy prospect. Now, the issue is he plays on a very pass heavy offense. And as much as they've invested into Joe Mixon, they've also invested a lot into Joe Burrow now. And so you got to think about which, which position are you going to prioritize if that's going to be your main investment? I would have to imagine that's going to be Burrow. And I think Mixon, like you said, at Oklahoma, and in times at, in Cincinnati, he has shown the propensity to be a very good pass-catching running back, and you want to get him out in space. Now, the jury on that is yet to be determined, and I will go ahead and I will be – I feel good in saying this. If Joe Mixon was on the board when I was picking early in the first or second round, I would not take him because I just – it's not reliable enough. I know the team as well as anybody. I draft Bengals when I feel like they're good plays <laughs> for my squad. They end up working out pretty well for me. I would not draft Joe Mixon early because – I just don't know what his, his, his usage is going to look like if they are going to be able to use him more in the passing game. And, and you know, it's, the, the likelihood is probably decent. But, you know, I think if you're a fantasy manager on draft night trying to figure out what you're doing, really evaluate your options. And if there's nobody else left in Mixon, go ahead and take him. Yeah. But if you have other options, I would strongly look at those because I just do not know what that usage is going to look like. I don't think anybody does. 
Jones. Yeah, I think Mixon's going to end up in that kind of RB2 tier with Josh Jacobs, with Nick Chubb, with other very talented running backs that maybe they could catch more passes. But when we have to really look at it and ask, will they catch more passes? The answer seems to probably be no, more likely than not. A couple, few, couple last things, and we'll get you out of here, Ben. So one guy that I have, you know, really stood up and on the desk and just pounded my heart for over the past few years. Auden Tate, every time they throw him the ball, I feel like good things happen. The haters say he can't separate. I say that he just makes contested catches look easy. It is what it is. You know, last year, really didn't get many opportunities. 2019, it seemed like he was coming on a little bit strong, even though there are a lot of injuries there. Is there a long-term future for Auden Tate with the Bengals? Or do, you think, or do you think they just view him as a backup wide receiver at this point? You know, it's, it's a, with, the good thing is that even if you're a backup wide receiver, um, you're going to end up getting because of how many targets these receivers are going to get. You're probably going to get a few of them. Yeah. So, and when Tate gets on the field, he is incredibly productive. And you know, Zach Taylor mentioned that last year. You know, Tate had a really big game uh, in the middle of the year. I want to say it was in the win against Tennessee. And then they said we need to get Auden the ball more. And then you know, Auden kind of took a step back, and they ended up having season-ending surgery. You know, to fix an issue. So that hindered his, excuse me, that hindered his growth moving forward. But both those things that you said about Auden can be true. He does struggle to create separation, which is why he was a late round pick. I believe a seventh round pick, if I'm not mistaken. However, he has great hands and a great catch radius. So separation is not necessarily the most important thing with him because he has the ability. He has a great frame, great size, and he's able to to kind of muscle defenders off and get in high point balls more so than other guys aren't going to be able to. So, in that case, you're, you know, he's almost like a, your perfect jump ball guy in the league where you can just say, hey, go catch it, if, you know, a bailout play. And Auden, nine times out of ten, will be able to bail you out. So, you know, whether it's in Cincinnati or elsewhere, I think he does have a lot of value. I think the Bengals do like him a lot right now. You know, if he was healthy, I think he would have had more targets uh, last year. So I, I think that Auden still has a lot of value because the things that he has, those physical gifts, are not things that you can easily find around the league. And Man, Auden is, is a great guy to have in the locker room as well. And, and Zach Taylor prioritizes uh, those things. And, and so Auden seems like a very a candidate to get a good amount of targets once he's back healthy in 2021. I love it. I've had free Auden Tate in the Twitter bio for quite some time now. If the Bengals want to start throwing him targets, that's fine by me. Otherwise, let's go get him somewhere to take advantage of some of those talents. I'm rooting for you, Auden. Hope that comes to fruition. Ben, fantastic stuff all the way around. Do you have a bold offseason prediction or a draft take, even a 2021 workload-related prediction you want to give me, myself and the listeners before we get you out of here? You know, I am so bad at giving bold predictions. <laughs> and I'll give you the same one I gave, I gave ESPN, and, and it's the one that it's been repeated – I think Carl Lawson walks and I think that it's more of a Carl Lawson thing than it is a Bengals thing. I don't think, I think the Bengals would pay him if they could, because he is a, obviously if they don't have him, they're going to really be hurting for edge rushers as much as, you know, I like Sam Hubbard and think he does some things well when he's healthy, but you know, Lawson should have had more sacks last year. I mean, the fact that I tried to ask him about the scheme and he basically just shut down, (laughs) he just knew it's better for me to say nothing than to say anything at all. Um, you know, reveals there might be some frustration there with his usage. And we saw that with Dunlap. I mean, he basically got traded because he was annoyed about his usage and, and his his role in the scheme. So I think that Lawson ends up walking. I know it's not a really particularly spicy take, but I think that's going to be the – and, you know, I think he ends up being a, a potentially 12 to 15 sack guy the next place he goes. I don't think that's a um, – you know, I think if we want to say a strong take there, I think 15 sacks is a probably decent number that Lawson gets for his next team uh, because I think he's that good. He's that talented. He's really quick. I liked him a lot when he was at Auburn. Um, and I think that the way that he's able to, he can be used. Um, he's, he's really quick. He bends very well. Uh, he's, you know, the injury questions have always been a thing with him, but he's always come back from those really well. 
Um, you know, his knees have held up last year. And so I think Lawson ends up walking. I think they end up giving a pretty big deal to William Jackson, much like they gave Trey Waynes last year because they just have leftover money. And they said, why not? Let's go pay Trey Waynes. I think they'll probably do the same thing. With him. They'll go, well, we couldn't pay Lawson. So why not? Let's go pay. Um, and he probably has deserved some of that money because he did play very well last year. So I think that's going to be my, my spicy take. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens in this, this draft will be fast. If Sewell's off the board, the Bengals have a very interesting question. Do you, do you, and say, say you have Chase Pitts and Rashawn Slater out of Northwestern, who's, who's, you know, projected right now to be a tackle, but because of his size could be a guy who plays guard in the NFL. I think it really depends on what teams are going to project him as, you know, or who do you take among those three? And, you know, if, if they end up drafting Chase or Pitts, I mean, it's going to be a little risky with Burrow back there in the pocket, but it could be a lot more fun. And I like fun, uh, you know, and Joe has the, you know, he's still young. He has the ability to kind of have that escapability. And so we'll see what happens in this draft. I think it's going to be a fascinating year, but at the end of the day, you know, a lot of people say the Bengals are going to be pretty boring. Um, and, and by and large, they are kind of a boring franchise. However, we are in a, in a hot seat year, I think for Zach Taylor. And, and I think this is going to be a big make or break year three for him. And if, if they are not able to be a playoff contender or reach the playoffs, you know, we could be asking some questions about his long-term future. So there's going to be a lot at stake in 2021. This is year three of their rebuild and it's time to, to go all in and see what you've got. And, you know, if you're playing hold them, you know, it's kind of that showdown round where you got to put your cards on the table and see how they play. And so for the Bengals, they've been building this team for the last three years in Taylor's mold and kind of what they need to look like moving forward. And we'll see if they've got the goods uh, this season. Absolutely, man. They've had their chances now to kind of, you know, get the team philosophy in there, start drafting and start signing some of the players they want. Let's see what happens in 2021. Hopefully fully healthy Joe. Hopefully we get some old linemen and receivers around him and we can spoof up the defense. I like the bull call Carl Lawson, double digit sacks elsewhere, not in Cincinnati. You might think it's surprising. Only had five and a half sacks last year. Again, number six in total pressures. So some of those advanced stats usually give us a better idea of just how good some of these pass rushers can be. That's going to do it, everybody. You just listened to our Cincinnati. Cincinnati Bengals offseason preview. Thank you, Ben, for coming on. Follow Ben on Twitter, please, at Ben underscore baby. You can also hear him uh, over at ESPN. Ben, anything you want to pitch you got coming up in the offseason? No, I think we just just keep it locked at ESPN. We'll hopefully have a lot of good stuff. You, you referenced uh, Bud Crawford. So if you're a boxing fan, we've got some Bud Crawford content as well as everything else in the sport over there. So, uh, Ian, I appreciate you having me on. I really enjoyed it. Fantastic stuff. Yes, make sure you check out Ben's boxing coverage as well. I'm more of a UFC guy myself, but I love the sweet science as well. It's all good. It's all good in the combat sports world. So thank you as always for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. He's Ben, I'm Ian. And until next time, take care, everybody. 